0: Thank you, guys. Hey, we're in part three. I know in your outline it says part two, but that's because I'm bad at math. Uh, We're in part three of our Pray First series, and our rally cry through the series has been Pray First. Say that with me. Pray First. Good job. We're going to read 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 out together. It's been our theme verse for this. Here we go. Big, loud voices. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. God is calling you and me to a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. And this Monday begins our 21 days, tomorrow morning, 21 days of prayer and fasting here at Rockbrook. And so in preparation for that, I want to give you eight principles about fasting. On your outline there, number one, fasting is not dieting. Uh, in dieting, your whole focus is on food. You're, you're, you plan what you eat, you prepare what you eat, you count calories. The, the whole goal is on food. Fasting, it's the exact opposite. You shift the focus off of food and you put it onto God. You take the time that you would spend procuring, preparing, and partaking of food and you shift that time to prayer and praise uh, of God. So fasting has a totally different focus uh, than dieting. And some of you are thinking, oh, rats, I thought maybe I'd lose some weight over this 21 days. But fasting is not a good way to lose weight. In fact, it's counterproductive. Because whatever you do to lose weight, trust me, I know, whatever you do to lose weight, you have to keep doing that to keep the weight off. And so fasting to lose weight is self-defeating because as soon as you stop the fast you gain the weight back, and usually more. Now, if you're looking for a good diet, I would suggest the Daniel Plan. Uh, And we've got information, danielplan.com. You can go there. There's a book. There's even small group material. I lost 30 pounds. Actually, I've lost more than that doing the, the Daniel Plan. Great diet, great plan. But dieting and fasting are two totally different purposes, two different focuses. Number two, fasting should be done with care. If you have health issues you need to talk to your doctor before you start a serious fast. I met with my, my guy on Friday, and we talked through what's coming and what's happening. And Now, if you're just going to skip a meal uh, once a day or if you're just going to cut out one type of food, that's probably not that severe. But if you're going to be serious about this fast for an extended period, you, you need to talk to your doctor. Number three, uh, there are various types of fasts. And you know, there's fasting from specific foods and fasting from specific meals. And you can fast from specific foods like meat or gluten or dairy or sugar or caffeine. Won't you be fun? Uh, you, you can uh, fast from specific meals like I'm not going to eat breakfast or lunch or dinner. You can fast for uh, specific time periods out of the day. You might say I'm going to fast from sunrise to noon or from noon to sunset or whatever. Or you can choose to just fast one day out of the week. Uh, maybe you're going to say, you know, every Monday I'm going to fast through this period, or every Tuesday or every Wednesday. And what that'll do is that'll give you three days of fasting through the 21 days, which really is pretty, pretty good. Uh, or you can choose to fast maybe three days in a row. You may look at your calendar and think, okay, I'm going to block out these three days, and I'm going to fast and pray on those days. And, and again, if, if you're going to go much longer than that, you want to talk to your doctor, and even during those three days, you know, make sure you drink, keep yourself hydrated, drink some broth and stuff. I mean, The goal is not to hurt yourself. The goal is to pray more. So number four, Uh, another approach is fasting from activities or habits. You don't fast from food. Maybe you fast from social media or TV or movies or some other activity that consumes your time. And the goal is not just to stop the activity. The goal is to shift the time that you spend on that activity and move that time over to, uh, to prayer because the goal is not just to fast. The goal is to pray. And you may be able to use this 21-day period to break a bad habit. Maybe you want to pick an area of struggle in your life and, and make it a matter of fasting and prayer. You've tried to do it in your own strength. You haven't been successful. Here's a chance for you to bring the power of the Word of God, the power of fasting and prayer into that area of your life. And so you may choose to pick a specific habit or activity and say, I'm, I'm getting victory this time. Uh, number five, fasting is between you and God, not others. You don't need to announce your fasting plan to a whole bunch of other people. You just keep it between you and God. Uh, You know, your spouse will need to know, your family might need to know, maybe two or three prayer partners. But other than that, you just keep it between you and God. Jesus said, when you fast, don't fast for show or to get attention. That's That's what the Pharisees do. And you, you just keep it between you and God. And you don't become legalistic about it. It's not your job to police the fast. Okay? You know, if you're out in a restaurant and you see somebody from the church, or if you see me, it's not your job. Hey, aren't you supposed to be fasting? Because you don't know what I'm fasting from and you don't know when I'm fasting. And besides, what are you doing in a restaurant? <laughs> okay? You want to play like that? It goes both ways. Yeah. So we're not going gonna to enjoy this. We're not going to be legalistic about it. Number 6 fasting is not a time to make decisions. Fasting is a great time to pray about decisions, but fasting is a lousy time to make decisions. You don't make major decisions in your life when you're tired or when you're hungry. And just it's just a good principle for life. So during this 21 days don't quit your job, don't sell your house, don't get engaged, don't file for divorce while you're fasting. I mean, you let God speak to you during the fast, then you process what he said to you, and you make your decision after, after you've gotten back into your normal routine. Number seven, fasting is a time to focus on God. I can't say this enough, because the tendency is to focus on the fast. The tendency is, is for the focus to get shifted to what you're giving up or the fasting activity. That, that's not the goal. In fact, if you find yourself focusing on the fast, I'd encourage you to stop it because now it's become a, di- a distraction rather than an asset. The, the real goal is to focus on God, focus on time with God, not on the fast. Number eight, fasting will be a spiritual struggle. Fasting is not just a physical exercise. Fasting is truly a spiritual battle. And when you step into the arena of fasting, you will begin to discover the hold that certain things have on your flesh and on your life. And it will become a spiritual struggle. That's what makes this so powerful. And so you want to arm yourself spiritually uh, for the battle. That's why the lion's share of our emphasis through this is going to be on prayer. Because the whole point of fasting is to make your prayer life more effective. The the point of praying isn't just praying that you'll make it through the fast. The point of fasting is to make your prayer more effective. So don't don't get those two mixed up. So I want to give you uh, four keys to a lifestyle of prayer. On your notes, number one the priority of prayer. All of us need to determine what our priorities are in life. Uh, our priorities are the things that we put first in our life. All, all through Scripture, first things are important because whatever you do first, that's what you honor. You know, whatever you do first, first things set the precedent for all the rest. First things have the power to bless the rest. So whatever you do first has more significance than the rest. Just a biblical principle. Prayer works throughout the day, but there is something significant about the first words out of your mouth in the morning being a prayer. When you roll out of bed, just, God, I dedicate this day to you. I I want to honor you in it. And and those those simple sentences will set the precedent for all the rest of the day. The, the first words out of your mouth gets God's attention, gets your attention, sets the tone for the day. That's why you pray first. I mean, what would it look like if, if we thought about the first things in our life and we used them to honor the Lord? Now, that's the principle behind the tithe. Tithing is not so much about the amount as it is about the order. Tithing is designed not to teach us to give God 10% of everything in our life. Tithing is designed to teach us to put God first in our life. It's about order, priority, not about amount. So before you start your day, you pray first. Before you start to work, you pray first. Before you go into that meeting, you pray first. Before you start that project, you pray first. Before you send your kids off to school, you pray pray first. You make prayer a priority, And, and you do that throughout the day. But look at Daniel. Look how Daniel made prayer a priority. It says, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, and the decree here is that it's now illegal to worship God, you must worship the king. That's the decree. And it says, Daniel went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God. Read it with me. Just as he had done before. Daniel had developed prayer as a priority in his life before the crisis. Before the crisis. Here's your application. You need to make a prayer appointment with God and then keep it. You need to make it a priority. Just put God into your schedule. I'd encourage you for the next seven weeks, actually through this 21-day period, just look at your calendar, make appointments with God for prayer, and then keep them. You know, somebody wants your time, you look at your calendar and say, oh, you know, I'm sorry, I'm busy then. Hey, you want to go get coffee? Uh, you know, I'm busy, I'm tied up. You want to go to lunch? Uh, I can't do lunch, I've got an appointment. You don't have to tell them what it is. You don't have to get all pious about it. Just tell them, hey, I'm, I'm busy. Stop telling God you're too busy and start telling other people you're too busy for them. And make an appointment with God for prayer and then keep it. Make prayer a priority. Starting tomorrow, every day for 21 days, we're going to hold a prayer time at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. every day. And you can pick the times, you can pick the days. My expectation is not you'll be here every, you know, every one of the 21 days. Pick some times, schedule it, and keep the appointment. And you know, if you do that, it'll become a habit. And it'll become a lifestyle of making prayer a priority. Second thing you need to do to have a lifestyle of prayer is you need the place of prayer. You ever heard Christians, especially older Christians, talk about their prayer closet? That's a term we don't use much anymore. And it's not actually a closet, although, I mean, I know for one guy it really is. But it's just a place where they pray. It's a dedicated, routine place where they spend time with God. The Bible talks about Jesus praying in certain places. Mark 1 says, very early in the morning. There's that priority thing again. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place. One translation says, to a certain place where he prayed. Most scholars believe that Jesus didn't just pray in the Garden of Gethsemane just on the night when he was arrested before he was crucified. Most of them believe that was his certain place. Whenever he was in Jerusalem, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. It was his prayer place. And not just because it's a beautiful garden with flowers and trees, but Jesus went there to pray because it had an excellent vantage point of the city. I mean, I've been there. It's just amazing. And I just picture Jesus in that garden weaving in and out between those olive trees and looking up at the city of Jerusalem and seeing the walls of the city and the temple sticking up out of it and it's dark and the sun comes up and it hits that city that Jesus loves. And I mean, what a place to pray. It was his certain place. And I just want to encourage you to find a place to pray. Do you know you have what's called a third place? Yeah. Your first place is, is home. It's your abode. It's, it's where you live. That's your first place. Your second place is work or school if you're a student. Your second place is where you spend all, most of your time away from your first place. But we all have what's known as a third place. And that's a place where social activity and interaction takes place. And it used to be for guys. It was the barber shop. Or maybe it was the pool hall, or for ladies, it was the beauty parlor, or maybe it was the park or a drugstore, or, or just some place where people would go, and they would spend time together, bowling alley, they spend time together interact church. You know, they spend time together interacting with one another. You've got a third place. And what's interesting for this generation is, is that the third place has become a virtual place. It's not real. It's Facebook. It's an internet place. It's a place where you're living, but you're not really even there. And for this generation, that place is becoming all-consuming. Because, because you can go there anytime. You, you know, you see people at home, and they're just constantly on Facebook. Or people at work, you know, just throughout the day, they're just constantly going to this. It's become the priority place. So maybe the application point for you is that... You, you need to go to your prayer place before you go to your third place. Because some of you are just living in the third place and you need to live in the place of prayer. And so your discipline for this 21 days may be that you're not even going to turn on your computer, you're not even going to turn on your phone until after you've been to your prayer place. Because you're going to make prayer a priority. You're going to pray first. And for the next 21 days, we're going to do this prayer every day, 6 a.m., 6 p.m. We're going to do it over in the East Building in the youth room. We've dedicated a place where we're going to do that. we moved all the other activities that happen out of there during those times, and there's a lot of them, and we've shuffled them around and moved them out of there because we're going to have a certain place to pray. You need a certain place in your life, a place where you walk and pray or kneel and pray or sit and pray, maybe in your bedroom, maybe in your den, family room, maybe a closet. Maybe your car. But you need to get yourself a place. Jesus had a place. You need one. Next, to establish a lifestyle of prayer, you need the plan of prayer. Often we think with prayer that we're just going to pour our heart out to God. We're just going to open our mouth and just let whatever crosses our mind fall out. But the Bible is very clear that your prayers are far more powerful, far more effective if you plan your prayers. Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah has 11 prayers, in it. it has more prayers in the book of Nehemiah than any other book other than Psalms. And, and they're in there because Nehemiah made prayer a priority. And they're in there because Nehemiah had a plan for prayer. And that's what the disciples noticed about Jesus. Jesus had a plan for prayer. And the disciples said, teach us how to, how to follow your plan. Once, Jesus was in a certain place praying. As he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus said, this is how. Notice he didn't say this is what you should pray. He said, this is how you should pray. This is your plan. And that's the prayer outline that I gave you last week based on the Lord's Prayer. And so for this 21 days of prayer, we put together a prayer guide for you. We've got them available back at the uh, information table. And in here, we've got the Lord's Prayer, we've got the Tabernacle Prayer, we've got Spiritual Warfare Prayers, we've got Devotional Prayers, and and we just have a plan for your prayer time. And when you come to the prayer times, maybe 6 a.m., 6 p.m., whichever, we're going to have a plan for your prayer time. Uh, we'll welcome you, give you some brief in- instruction. This is where you can sit and pray. This is where you can kneel and pray. This is where you can pace and pray. I like to pace when I pray. We're going to read a theme verse together, and then we're going to uh, join together in unison and sing one song. One song together. And then we're going to move in into prayer. It's going to be music playing in the background and we're going to be playing it loud enough so that you can pray out loud, not to worry about other people hearing what you're praying, because you're praying to God, not to everybody else. We're not going to put you on the spot, make you pray in front of everybody, or even pray with anybody else if you don't want to. And there's going to be scripture verses and prayer prompts that, that, that come up on the, the screen over there to guide and encourage your prayers because we, we've got a plan for how we're going to pray. And uh, we're going to pray through the Lord's Prayer, the outline that we've got, and then when we're done, we're going to sing a closing song together, and then we'll be done. And it'll take less than an hour You'll be amazed at how quickly the time goes by. And when it's done, you'll think, man, I wish it was, I wish it was longer. I wish there was more. I can't wait to come back the next time. Because we're going to have a plan for how you pray. Fourth thing you need to have a lifestyle of prayer is you need the persons of prayer. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Because now that I have a certain place and I have a plan, it's important that prayer not become about my place and about my plan it's important that prayer become about the persons of prayer, the persons in the Trinity. Because each person in the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, each one is a distinct person, they have a distinct personality, and we relate to each one of them differently. And as you relate to them personally, properly, it brings life and meaning and depth to that relationship. Many of us don't have the relationship with God that we should because our view of God is not a right view. Because the way you see God determines how you relate to God. And many of us did not grow up with a biblical view, a biblical definition of God. We may have grown up with a religious definition, but not a biblical definition of who God is. One of the great movies in my life uh, is the Wizard of Oz? I, I, I love parts of that movie. I, I love the Cowardly Lion. I, I love the Cowardly Lion. What makes the hot and tots so hot? Who put the ape in apricot? What have they got that I haven't got? Courage. Yeah, I love I love the Cowardly Lion. Them flying monkeys, not so much. Okay. You know, my daughter was about four, and, and we were running around doing errands, and she was strapped in her little booster seat in the back of the car, and we were going here and there. We really hadn't said much to each other for you know, throughout a lot of the morning. And, and uh, she's pretty quiet, and I'm just doing my thing. And then all of a sudden, we're driving along, and out of nowhere, she goes, I hate them flying monkeys. <laughs> and I'm like, me too, girly. Wow, you see one? <laughs> I mean, what, what brought that up? Then you got this giant green-faced wizard of Oz with with smoke around his head and lightning snapping around him and, what do you want? I always hide under the sofa cushions at that point. Like last week. (laughs) What do you want? I just want to go to Kansas. Then go get the witch's broomstick. Go perform. Go prove yourself. Go prove your worth. You know, if that's your view of God, let me just tell you it's wrong. It's unbiblical. Prayer is going to become a lifestyle for you. It needs to be something you enjoy, not dread. And you need to enjoy the God that you are praying to, not live in fear of him. So I want to introduce you to the Godhead today. I want to introduce you to the persons with a capital P, the persons of prayer. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And I want to introduce you to him in such a way that you think, wow, I'd like to spend time with those guys. I want to relate to them. And one of the best descriptions of the Trinity is found in the closing prayer in in, in the book of 2 Corinthians. Last verse of the book, Paul says this. He says, the amazing grace of the Master, Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. And and in that closing prayer, Paul introduces us in order and in personality to the Godhead. Jot this down in your mind. Folks, this will change your life if you'll grab this one. Paul starts with the amazing grace of Jesus. The first personality of the Godhead, the first person of prayer that you need to understand is Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who is carrying your prayers to God. That's why we pray to the Father in Jesus' name. Because Jesus is the mediator between God and man. Jesus is the one who bridges the gap between sinful man and a holy, perfect God. Jesus is the one who takes the weak, frail, stumbling prayers of people and cleans them up and plugs them right into the Father. Hebrews tells us that that right now, Jesus, right now, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. And when we pray in Jesus' name, Jesus presents our prayers to the Father on our behalf. And and he intercedes, he vouches for us. He says, Father, this is from Kelly. He really is one of your children. He's believed in me. And this is a sincere request, and he really needs you to answer this. And and Father, I I want you to know, and and what's really cool about Jesus interceding is that, that Jesus lived here on earth for 33 years. Jesus was a kid, He was a teenager. He was an adult. He was a working guy. He lived here for 33 years. He he was tempted in everything that we are tempted. That's why he lived here 33 years and not 33 minutes. Because he didn't just come here to die for us. He came here to live for us. Look at this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Every time you pray to Jesus, Jesus gets it. He gets it. He knows exactly what you're going through. He he was tempted. He had the same thing. He didn't sin. He was victorious over it. But he gets it. And then look at the next part. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We can receive mercy and grace in our time of need because of the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. Second person of prayer, the extravagant love of the Father. One of the problems we have is that our earthly father experience has distorted our heavenly father experience. And some people have been so wounded by their earthly fathers that they can't even think in terms of God as their heavenly father. I mean, they can think of him as God, they can think of him as king or as judge, they're okay with that, but to think of him as father is just too painful. I just, I don't want to go there, I can't go there. But you've got to get healed from that. Because Father is one of God's favorite names. It's it's the favorite way to relate to you. He wants you to know Him as Father. That's how Jesus told us to pray to Him. Apostle Paul actually starts a prayer in Ephesians 3. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. In Jewish culture, the idea was that when the kid came home, he would go into the presence of the Father, and he would kneel. And the Father would lay his hands on the kid's head and shoulders, and he would bless him, and then he would receive the child up into his arms, up into his lap. What a cool picture. And that's the relationship that God wants to have with you. We, we need to learn to know God like that because when you know God like that, it'll change how you pray. You don't have to cringe before God. God's not green-faced, smoke-and-loud. And look at Psalm 103. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Folks, that's one of the grandest verses in the Bible. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. And it's really tragic that the translators use the word fear because it's not the word fear, it's the word worship. It's the word reverence, respect, to have awe for. It means that you you approach God out of devotion and respect. The people I know who love their fathers the most are the ones who have the greatest respect and reverence for them. I mean, you've seen that. And that's what it's talking about here. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who honor and respect and reverence and live in awe of him. What a relationship. God is a loving Father. He wants to pour out extravagant blessing on you. God wants to bless you more than you want to be blessed. You don't have to beg God for anything. You come boldly with confidence because of the amazing grace of Jesus Christ and because of the extravagant love of the Father. Third person of the Trinity. The intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. We can understand Jesus because we've read His biographies. We've seen His movies. We know what he looks like. You know, we can even understand the idea of God because we get the idea of, of a father. But what's up with this ghost character? I mean, this one this one's a little disturbing. Let, let, let me tell you what the Spirit's role is. When the prayer meeting is over, the Holy Spirit goes with you. When the prayer time is done, the Holy Spirit says, okay. Let's go live life together. And he's the one who goes with you. John 14, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor. Circle that word, counselor. To be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Counselor. It means he leads, he guides, he directs, he nudges you through life. The Greek word there means he comes literally right alongside of you in life. You know the peace that comes over you when you make the right decision? That's the Holy Spirit. You know the unsettled feeling that you have when you're about to do or have done something wrong? That's the Holy Spirit. You know how sometimes you know stuff that you know you don't know? That's the Holy Spirit. You know how sometimes you say stuff that's far wiser than you are? That's the Holy Spirit. You know how sometimes you you have a power and a strength that you know you don't have? That's the Holy Spirit. That's why in prayer you you need the amazing grace of Jesus Christ because He paid for it all. And He offers it all to you through faith in Him. And when you pray in Jesus' name, Jesus takes those prayers to the Father on your behalf. And the Father is not a green-faced monster with smoke and fire. He's an extravagant, loving, generous, gracious, compassionate God. And then you need to know the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. The one who goes with you throughout the day, every day, every moment, forever. You know, when you realize those are the persons... Don't you think they ought to be your priority? Don't you think you ought to have a place to meet with them? Shouldn't you have a plan for when you talk to them? The answer is sure, yes. That's what we're going to do. Let's pray together. God, as we move to get closer to you through prayer and fasting, I just pray that you will take this church to a new level. Help each of us to establish prayer as a priority, to pray first to set a place for prayer, have a plan for prayer, to make an appointment with you and keep it. But most importantly, help us to get to know the persons of prayer. God, we thank you for the amazing grace of Jesus Christ, for the extravagant love of the Father, and for the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're here today and and you don't feel close to God. You don't feel you can approach Him as a loving Father. Maybe you feel a distance between you and God. You need the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. You need Jesus Christ to bridge the gap between your guilt and God's gifts. And you are one heartfelt prayer away. Whether it's a first-time decision or you're coming back to a God you've wandered from, just just pray this prayer in your heart. Just say, Jesus, thank you for going to the cross to pay for my sin. Thank you for shedding your blood for my forgiveness. And I want to make you the Lord of my life. And Father, thank you for sending your son. And today, I'm making the decision that I want to get close to you. I want to know you. I want to be your child. I want you to be my father. I want to be in your family. I I am choosing you. Adopt me today. God, thank you for sending your spirit into my life. You've given me your comforter, your counselor to walk beside me every day, every moment, forever. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.